Everybody and welcome to episode 17 of And Then an Aeroplane, our Studio Ghibli podcast. Uh, my name is Autumn, and I am joined as always by M. Uh, it's time to talk about some anime. Un- unfortunately, it is time to talk about anime. <laughs> I have yeah. been dreading this anime for so long, but here we are. <laughs> uh, someone helpfully told us in uh, in an email we are 75 percent done with this project. So it makes it makes sense. Um, it doesn't feel like that. Uh, it both feels like we've done everything that I care about by getting through the 90s. And also, like, we have so we much have farther to go. We have literally one of my favorite Ghibli movies next time. So we have one of my favorites the time after that. So yeah. also, um, I also remember that being a pretty good movie. So, yeah. Um. But yeah, we are here today to talk about Tales from Earthsea, uh, directed by Goro Miyazaki. Uh, it is his, he is uh, Hayao Miyazaki's son. Um, this is his uh, debut, uh, kind of the popular narrative that uh, has popped up around this movie is that like, Hayao Miyazaki was quite disappointed. You can go watch a video on YouTube of, uh, of, him leaving the movie in the middle to go smoke and then uh sighing and going back in and it is one of the most disheartening uh things you can watch on the internet but yeah um yes also worth pointing out because we're gonna run into garo a lot uh he co-wrote this movie um he was a landscaper before this movie before he got involved in this stuff um and was as far as far as anyone can see basically pressed into becoming the person to take over for Miyazaki against his own wishes. The one person in animation who doesn't want to work in animation, a hard industry to break <laughs> into and have a career in, just given the keys to the worst kingdom possible. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot of shit about this movie. I think Goro Miyazaki's a sympathetic figure. Um, yeah. I think his father uh, is like, there are enough rumors and stuff about him being like a distant father and bad at that stuff. Mm-hmm. By releasing this movie in the company he owns, I feel like he's done his son a grave disservice. They should have just ate this one through in the garbage and told him better luck next time. Yeah, um, we're we're gonna be really negative, um, but like 
the the popular narrative around this movie is just such a bummer and like goro saying in interviews things like oh my dad didn't raise me like my dad's movies raised me and like yeah <sighs> anyway He's- um yeah, this movie came out in 2006. You said you were going to do the summary. Um, yeah. I, I think that's fine. Um, I, I'm curious. I, on some level, I want to do it because I want to just point out what I think the movie is about. You know what? Go for it then. Okay. <laughs> so the movie opens on some people on a boat go- watching two dragons fight, and they're like, "Ah, oh, these two dragons are fighting. The world is out of balance." It doesn't really come up again, other than the balance is bad. Um, Vibes are bad. There's a declining kingdom. The king is like, oh, what are we going to do about the horrible rot that's spreading throughout the lands? Uh, and before they can decide to do anything about that, uh, the king's son runs up, stabs him, grabs his sword, runs away. Uh, don't know what the hell is going on with that. Um, it turns out that kid's just wandering the desert with a sword and he is picked, he is attacked by wolves and is picked up by an older, basically the guy from, uh, from Nausicaa. Can't remember that guy's name, but it's literally just that yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, his, his name is, uh, Sparrowhawk. That's his, uh, that's his second name. His first name is what? Gen, right? Ged. Uh, Ged. his use yes. name is Sparrowhawk. His true name is Ged. <laughs> okay. Well, he's the archmage, which means that he used to be like the leader of the Jedi order, I guess, because that's how everyone treats it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're a special boy. I'm going to lead you around, even though you're clearly traumatized and not willing to do anything about it. Um, they go to a city called Hort. My son is also named Hort. Um, and there, the boy who's named Aaron rescues this girl from some slaver guys that are trying to capture her. Her name's Theru, but she's really mad about the fact that, like, he's a violent child and, you know, runs away and resents him or whatever. Um, Aaron gets captured by the same slavers. Sparrowhawk rescues him. And then he takes him to his friend, his, his lady on the side. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's hard to say. <laughs> her name's Tanar. She's, she is like, the prototypical she's like the baker in kiki's delivery so she's like the prototypical mm-hmm. miyazaki like motherly figure but not a mom specifically uh but also she's like this hated evil witch in the woods that everyone doesn't like but none no there's no actual signifier of that other than people say that that's true um they kind of sit around here for a while and argue about bullshit that doesn't matter um theru sings a song and then uh Aaron's like, I killed my dad. And she's like, wait, excuse me? (laughs) I was talking about some, like, teen personal drama. You killed your dad? Are you kidding me? Um, Turns out that Sparrowhawk's in this fight with this other wizard uh, named Lord Cobb, uh, who has the slaver working for him. Big Castle, evil sorcerer, this slaver guy, uh, who also looks like the guy from uh, Nausicaa, like the evil, the Phil Hartman character. Um, Mm -hmm. And then like six other like faceless slaver dudes. That's it. That's the evil empire in this movie. And uh, they are trying to get a hold of Sparrowhawk for nebulous reasons. Uh, And when Cobb finds out about Aaron, she's like, okay, I need to get this kid. I need uh, bring him on board. She brings him on board by telling him that she's going to, or he, sorry, he we will get to that. Um, mm-hmm. I read her as, I read him as female because it's voiced by a woman in the Japanese version, not in the English version. Meant to be a guy. Don't question it. Queer coded villains, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but he gives this big speech about how, like, ah, uh, with my magical powers and your magical sword ability, whatever, you can open the door to death as he is dying because, uh, Cobb poisoned him and is like, tell me your true name. And I'm like, what, what's a true name? What, why does this matter? And then he does and becomes under his thrall um, because magic. There's magic happening. Have you heard of fantasy before? <laughs> anyway, this is enough to convince uh, Theru, who tells Aaron's shadow, who is like a, a, a tulpa of 
Aaron who's following him around basically. Um, th- that Aaron is like walking in the woods, like, oh, I can't find the real Aaron to like quote unquote murder him. And by that, I mean, make him confront his trauma and then we'll become one again, whatever. I've seen a movie before. And she's like, what are you doing there? And it's like, ah, yes, I need to tell you the true name of the real Aaron. And she's like, excuse me, the, the real what now? And so, uh, she gets his true name, runs up, tells him that, breaks him out of the evil spell. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sparrowhawk goes and is like, I'll trade my life for the boy or whatever. They have a big fight. Aaron pulls out the magic blade, cuts off Cobb's hand. Cobb starts turning into an old man. It's cool 70s animation. There's a big confrontation. And then, uh, Theru shows up and tells Aaron her true name also. And then she goes, my name backwards is Disney and turns into a big dragon. Uh, and that's it. The cob explodes into light. I don't fucking know. Anyway, uh, Aaron's like, I need to go and uh, com- tell the people of my land that yes, I killed my father and I should go to jail for it. And they decide that they're going to do that uh, as they dress Aaron up in a new cloak or whatever. And him and Sparrowhawk head off to go put Aaron in jail as the women stand in the hut going, I guess we're the women who stay home. That's the end of the story. Oh, there's dragons now. Everything's fine. The balance has been restored. I don't know. None of that makes fucking sense. I don't know why no! he killed his dad. They never explained that part. <laughs> I kept waiting for when they would explain that part, and they never did. <laughs> also, people were dragons once, but there was a dragon, but that's she's the only one, I guess, now. I don't know. It's not clear. The dragon shows up. It looks like it fell the dragon prince. It's really badly CG animated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At one point, at one point, Sparrowhawk goes, ah, the power of light is waning and thus the balance has been destroyed. And I was like, I fucking hate fantasy. Because there's no explanation of what any of that means. What's the light? Is that God? Is that is that just like good magic? Is that versus bad magic? A lot of people in this movie seem to think that all magic is bad, except for Sparrowhawk, who seems to know better. (laughs) So the (laughs) I was able to parse a little bit more of this from having a familiarity with the books but the 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 thing is that it's smushing together books three and four and also a little bit of book one because um Aaron is also getting uh uh ged's um plot from book one because ged's plot in book one is that he's like a little kid who has like a shadow chasing him around doing heartless shit or whatever nobody shit or whatever okay um <laughs> And so, but like, there's a lot of additions and changes you make when you smush together two books that the this movie does not fucking explain at all. Do not know why he killed his dad. Do not know what the significance of that is, even a little bit. This is a baffling fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people doing stuff, and then they'll then later after they've walked through some like backgrounds for ten minutes, they'll stop and be like, "How did you feel about the thing you did?" And it's like, "I regret it. It was bad." They're like, "Yes, that's why the world's falling into peril." But nobody explains their actual motivation. Just, oh, now I feel bad that I did the thing. Like, oh, you're right to feel bad. You'll have to atone someday. And then they continue to walk through more painted backgrounds, um, and that's it. It just does that until the movie's over. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of it kind of moves through like. It starts as like, well, magic is like, uh, Ged is like, we need to live in harmony with the land and, and it is man's responsibility to steward the environment. And that's what magic is a metaphor for. And then it ends on like, magic is like the, 
acceptance of life and death as natural cycles and it doesn't yes I, I, those things don't there's never like a bridge built between those two ideas it's just that yes. people share their opinions on those things pretty often like, also it, there is a lot of weird lines drawn being drawn about like the value of the nuclear family in this movie that i don't yes. think the movie knows that it's making at all uh, yeah there's definitely like uh ged and uh theru and Arin and what's her name tanar form yeah. this like family unit. It's like this is what life is supposed to be about as a Opposed to when they go to the town, Ged is telling Aaron, ah, uh, yeah, they're the city, like, because there's like, there's like people using fantasy drugs, like dying in, in alleyways, <laughs> in outrageous sequences. Yeah. Anyway, he's like, uh, Aaron's, Aaron's like, this is, it's terrible. He's like, yes, the world is, there's a rot in the world and it's destroying everything. And this is what it means to turn away from the light. People are just, you know, fated to fall into darkness if we don't magically align them with the grace of God or whatever. But it's not explained what the light is. It could be God. It could be whatever. It could be the light side of the forest. Either way, Ged's going to be really parochial about being mad about people who don't follow it. Um, and then at the end, the, the two teens stand there and look at the old man, uh, Cobb, and are like, actually, it is the power of youth that will save the world. You have to face death, old man, and then murder him. <laughs> Which, as as an avowed Tomino fan, you can do that right. The movie doesn't know that it's about kids going like, we accept death, we're 17, die, old man. <laughs> <laughs> really easy to say when you're a teenager. Well, and it's also like... It's supposed to be in contrast to this moment that RN has early on where um, the slavers who... The the lead slaver guy is just the uh, American from Porco Rosso, um, <laughs> really fucking bothered me through the whole movie. Um, like it's supposed to be like, oh, he like starts this movie just like um, he the slaver has a sword to uh, Theru's neck. And he's like, kill her, I don't care. And she's really upset by that. And then somehow, like, she sings a song and he realizes, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And so at the end of the movie, he's now suddenly like, I value life. And I don't, <laughs> it's supposed to be playing off that moment earlier in the movie, but that's... <sighs> yeah. This movie's also very frustrating because... Of how much time people spend saying to you, this cool shit happened in the past. Um, Tenar's only moment in this entire movie is um, standing on the farm and just being like, yeah, when I was young, Sparrowhawk came and saved me from the tombs of Atuan. And those are all capitalized so that you know that that is a proper noun and that is like the name of another book. And like, Ged and Cobb meet each other and they're like, oh, we had this epic duel that happened somewhere in the past, and I think it really raises the question, why are you adapting books three and four if you're going to constantly have people talk about shit that happened in the past? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't understand this movie. I don't fucking understand it. Um, yeah. Uh, it mostly just left me very, like, numb to this whole thing, because also, mm -hmm. like... It 
it's not even that it's super confusing. It's only confusing when you try to piece together. What mostly it is, is people standing very still because this feels like a movie that is like really cheap, but they have to look like a Ghibli movie. So Mm -hmm. it's like very beautiful backgrounds, painted backgrounds and very like on model characters, but they don't do a whole lot because that would cost money. And this production seems like it was maybe trouble. Hard to say. Um, It's just, it just doesn't, flow well it's just boring it's just people standing around talking for most of the runtime well and it's also like um it's such a weird thing because early on they have the beautiful backgrounds of hort town that like has the yes. kind of like ghibli flair like that you're used to from kiki of like we're just drawing a million fucking bits and bobs on a million buildings um and then after they leave hort town they spend most of the movie standing around in empty fields <laughs> with rolling hills and so the yep. beautiful painted backgrounds are just a fence and then green and blue yep the whole final confrontation takes place in like the most stock ass castle set possible like i'm pretty sure i got that background when i bought uh clip studio pro <laughs> Um, what else was I going to say? Well, and also, like, the whole middle of the movie becomes just, like, the four of them living on a farm, and, like, Arin and Tenar, or Arin and Theru become, like, brother and sister until the end of the movie where they're boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, yes. Or m- more husband and wife. Um, and, like, this middle section of the movie is then ruined by like the like extremely androgynous character coming and swooping uh in and taking rn and literally bringing rn to his bed to like um do evil shit to him and it's it's a dark part of this movie that the movie stumbles into it's i don't think it's i don't think it's intentional i don't think it is supposed to be as like hatefully queer phobic but like because you just draw your evil villain character in an androgynous way and you just like do a standard fantasy plot like you end up with something really hateful and bad yeah you also get the thing where like the the villain's whole thing is that they've lied about being old through magic and that's like mm-hmm. an evil thing to do uh meanwhile Thera's over here like her whole character is i'm mad and sad because my parents abused me and i'm horribly disfigured and she's just got a red spot on her you know how zuko is like i've been yeah. horribly burned and he's got like a weird like walnut eye and you're like man that that like that's not that bad like you know it's fine you're still like uh, you're still in the context of a kid's cartoon the hot boy in this show mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. she doesn't even have that she just has a red spot it's not even like scarred it just looks like yeah. she's got like a birthmark it's not a problem yeah <laughs> and was, her it, whole it, character <laughs> is like i've got a chip on my shoulder because of this mark this horrible mark mm-hmm. um and that is like fine or whatever like that could be a character but not up right up against this character is evil because uh he looks like a beautiful man and actually he's an old man and that's ugly and terrible mm-hmm. and it, it can't be understated I was I was texting Molly because I was watching this movie at like two a.m. and I was texting her and I was like kind of complaining about it and trying to get all my like well they ruined my books out of my system uh, before I came to this podcast and while I was texting her um, through like Tenar is like 
oh, Aaron, can you go get your sister to come inside? It's almost dinner. And he goes outside, and there's just a musical number in, like, smack dab in the middle of the film now. And she sings a whole song for, like, two and a half minutes. And I can't... I cannot tell you how fucking bizarre that moment is. There's never been anything like it in one of these movies. It feels like it's moving into a... It feels like this movie is trying to move into a, like, Disney space, uh, which kind of makes sense given that, like, Ghibli is becoming more successful in America and they want to capitalize on that, maybe. But, like, it's... the It just... The movie is fucking incoherent and... The moment of, now there is a song that we're doing is one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me watching a movie. Um, oh, I, I wanted to make one more. I'm, I'm really trying not to just do, they ruin my books the whole time, but... You haven't really done a whole lot of that. Like, okay. the, the things that are wrong with this are very clear... Um, mm on the feed like you know i gave the summary i this book doesn't this movie does not make sense having not read a single one of these books yeah. and that's before you get into the part where like like these these are all like black characters in these books right isn't that yeah, the thing that's with these? exactly what i was about to say touching on what you said about through like the only white character in all of these books is tenar and it's kind of weird that she's white um like it is often remarked upon about how weird that is um it's also like through is like actually disfigured and like that is a book about um like her dealing with like disability and like the ways that people perceive her and so there is a really frustrating thing of like this is actively mishandling like material that is like really important to me and like fumbling like a lot of thematic stuff because when you make her like when you remove all of Theroux's, like, disability stuff and, like, people thinking, like, she's hideous, um, like, you just rob all of her narrative of everything. And it just leads to a movie where, like, it's kind of like, who cares? You have one little scar. <laughs> um, and, like... There's just really weird racial stuff when you make all of these characters white and, like, they're sitting around... Except for... Except for Ged is, like, kind of darker skinned than the rest of them. Um, and, like, they go have this nuclear family, like, long middle sequence. It's, ah, there's weird stuff in this movie when you just totally don't understand the books that you're adapting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it, it, my main reaction was like, oh, I should definitely uh, watch or read these books so I can understand what the fuck this was supposed to be, because it certainly doesn't, uh, it doesn't even suggest what the story is actually about. <laughs> no, no, like it, <laughs> it kind of fumbles into a lot of like weird mishmash readings you can have, but I don't know like what the movie wants me to like feel and a there's a lot of opining from characters there's a lot of like monologuing about like the balance and and life and death but i don't actually know like what i am supposed to feel about those things after i've watched the movie yeah uh yeah i don't know it's it, there's just it's weird how empty i feel about this whole thing 
Like, mm-hmm. and on some level, I'm like, I think this, I don't think this movie is actively bad as like Howl or Mononoke, which I think are movies that are advocating like genuinely harmful things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a much worse film. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I hated the experience of watching it. So like on that level, it's like, oh, where are, like, we're not, you know, we don't have to break out our ratings tonight or whatever, but like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is a terrible <laughs> movie. <laughs> It's so rare that I, because I, you know, we kind of self-select what we watch as people. Like, we're not critics going out and watching everything that's in theaters. It's not mm-hmm. very often I watch a movie that is actually just bad. Like, not mm-hmm. ad, like not like secretly advocating something, not drops the ball on this or that. This is just a bad movie. Like, really bad. Coming mm-hmm. from a studio known entirely for their, like, meticulous devotion to making movies that are at least pleasing to sit through, even if they are not, like, coherent ideologically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I talked a great deal on the last episode about how I didn't care for Howl's because I felt like it was a boring movie and I felt like it was not um, as well executed as like we're used to from Miyazaki uh, mm-hmm. or from Hayao Miyazaki. But um, like, I I I didn't know what I was in for, I guess, because like, holy shit, this movie just the movie just feels inept, and I I feel really bad because like. It's hard to pin down like how much of this is like I want to I want to put the blame for that. I feel like the narrative around this movie is that that is um Goro's fault and I want to put the blame for that on Ghibli. Uh at least in part for Ghibli like putting an inexperienced person um in this position. But like yeah, at least Howls had like wow, that's some pretty visuals going on for it every now and then. Like there's yeah. nothing fucking happens in this movie. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is like the background of this is that Miyazaki and a bunch of other people have tried, wanted to get the rights to do Earthsea. Uh, and I think Miyazaki had been trying for since like the eighties or whatever and mm-hmm. had been, everyone had been turned down. Uh, Le Guin personally turned down Miyazaki because she associated like, cause of the distribution deal, she was like, I don't want Disney adapting my movies or whatever. Right. Um, and it was only after Spirited Away won an Oscar and she was like familiar with his work that she was like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, but that was done with the idea that he was going to personally do it and he was making Howl's Moving Castle. So they decided to, you know, make, let Goro do it. And she wasn't happy with that. She's been very like politically, like, you know, terse, but nice about the idea that the movie was made. Clearly mm-hmm. she hates it. Yeah. Um, and it's just so strange to see this student, like, if it wasn't attached to being an adaptation of Le Guin's work, there's no way they wouldn't have, like, just, like, scuttled this and it never seen the light of day, right? Like, it's only because it's right. Ursi that they had to put it out. Because once you say right. we're making the Ursi adaptation, people know what that is. You can't just, like, then say, ah, sorry, we made a mistake. We're not actually putting that movie out. <laughs> well, and, like, it's so funny to hear... um the ways in which Le Guin talks about this movie and does not talk about this movie or talked. Um, I have a big book of like every like every word about Earthsea that she ever wrote. It's got like the novels. It's got the short stories. It's got like afterwards after each novel. Uh, and there's an introduction to the to the book um, where she's like, because there's a lot of there's a lot of illustrations um throughout the book and she says this is the first time that earth sea has really been represented in visual media <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> damn and that's like she put that book out in 2015 and i think died like six months later or something <laughs> like it's just like shit girl <laughs> yeah um 
This has been a really unstructured conversation, but the movie is really unstructured, I feel like. Um, yeah, it's just hard to muster a whole lot of giving a shit when the movie is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. Like, I, it, yes, this is, Goro created a bad movie. This is true. But the the machine of Ghibli set him up to fail, should not have mm-hmm. released this. Uh, yeah. Miyazaki shouldn't have put his son in a situation where he had to, like, live up to the legacy of his father on a grand stage like this. Um, yeah. Everything about it is, like, abhorrent, and it's not Goro Miyazaki's fault of those things. It's it's madness that they wouldn't give him the cat returns, right? Yeah. Like, if yes. they wanted him to... <laughs> if they wanted... If they wanted to set up Goro as, like, the successor, give him a 70-minute movie. <laughs> yeah, that's not attached to anything. That's like, all you gotta do is be cute for a while, it'll be fine. No one cares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... And yeah, like, uh, he has continued to make movies since then. Um, uh... I remember liking From Up on Poppy Hill. Uh, I saw that when it was in theaters. I don't remember much about it, but I remember it being fine. I I am I'm really curious about um seeing his seeing his work after this because like I wonder if like he can have a um I'm hoping that from up on Poppy Hill does not have this like weird like association of just like just a terrible production like I want to see him like just be able to do something that he's interested in that he's not like being pressed into by a weird machine yeah. um he has also been announced as the director of the upcoming CG movie that they're doing. Um, yeah, Eric and the Witch. Yeah, December 2020. We will see if that happens. Um, COVID? Uh, almost certainly, because they announced that release date during COVID. Uh, it's 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 okay. a, it's airing on television, so they're putting that out, I'm pretty sure. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. I, I hope that's good. Um, apparently, that's another uh, Diana Wynne-Jones thing, just glancing at the Wikipedia page. So. Mm-hmm. I like I like the character designs a lot. I hope it's good. I mean, I'm interested to see. Um, you know, it's also it's such a weird thing because um, when you get often when you get other directors on these um, on Ghibli movies, like they bring their own uh, visual stuff to it. Like Takahata is so clearly distinct from Hayao Miyazaki. Um, Goro and is clearly aping um, Hayao's style, but seeing like basically Hayao Miyazaki characters in 3D is like very cute. Just glancing at this poster for Earwig. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I I think that might be it. We should probably just go to questions and leave something else because clearly we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, if you have questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. 
Uh, we take them on, you know, these movies, uh, prior movies, you know, as long as it's uh, Ghibli stuff, we will take it, of course. Uh, our first email is from Joao. Uh, congratulations on reaching 75%. We're almost done. <laughs> uh, little behind the scenes here. Um, Jackson, who I do most po my podcast with, has an invitation because they stake their flag early on to come on our Wind Rises episode on the stipulation that they've mm -hmm. watched every movie and read and listened to the podcast up to that point. We're coming up on it. We only have like three more movies. They watched Castle Cagliostro this week. <laughs> <laughs> It's really a win-win situation for us because either they're going to come on and it's going to be a good episode or we get to tease them about this for the rest of time. <laughs> yes. Um, it's been fun to revisit most of these movies with more critical lenses. Having grown up reading Earthsea, I avoided until now the experience of watching this week's movie. I don't know if the reputation as being the worst Ghibli film made my expectations so low uh, that when I get over that, part of me really wants to scream because that's a really fucking bad adaptation of the books. <laughs> Whitewashes everything I love about this universe. Um, I did uh, I did not find it so unbearable that I would publicly disown my son for directing this movie, but it does not seem to take much for Hayao Miyazaki to do the same. <laughs> uh, found the movie boring. Two things really jumped in my attention were how much exposition this movie has, especially in the beginning, in contrast uh, with how it's the first Ghibli movie that lacks a sense of depth and texture from the scenery. It makes me feel like I come to know those places after watching the movie. The second one, and the focus of my question, is how you felt about the use of violence and the presence of evil characters uh, in, throughout the film and Ghibli movies in general. I can't separate my feelings on the subject for how I feel about Tales of Ursi. Um, a lot of aspects of Le Guin's books are presented in structural terms while the movie makes them to be dispositional. Slavery, drug abuse, physical violence appears throughout the movie as things done by evil people that break the natural bounds of the world or simply things that should shock you. In this version, if you kill the bad guy and put the rightful people in power, everything will be solved. Mm -hmm. It's true. The, there's a really early moment in the movie that I th I felt was like really jarring um, where they go to Hort Town and they see a bunch of slaves and it just, it's... They're playing like just fun. Um, I don't know if Joe Hisaishi did the music on this one, but no, certainly a, a pastiche of his music. Um, like just fun Ghibli music and just light Ghibli visual visuals as they're like showing people like in chains, and it's just like I don't, I don't think that you can really talk about this issue with like this vocabulary, and like then going from that to like. Oh yeah, here's this like dr the, these drug addicts that are just like dying in the streets. Like you really can't do this with like this tool set. Like you've got to like kind of change your whole approach before you can like bring this sort of issue up in this movie because this just feels wildly inappropriate. Also like because of this stuff, like the way I end up reading it is like this is a story about how Ged is evil. Like he's he's just mm -hmm. he's just Obi Wan Kenobi in this movie. Like he's he's only going to help uh, Aaron out because Aaron is useful to him. The rest of the slaves can go rot. Who cares? Like he when he frees when he literally frees Aaron from slavery, he's like, I freed the others. Don't worry about them. They'll figure it out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, and like there are moments um, in. There are moments in the books where he has sort of a similar attitude and every other character is like, hey, that's fucked up that you're just like neutral about everything. And like yeah. other people push back on it. This is just a movie where like that has this sort of conservative neutrality about everything that just like makes it regressive and weird and bad. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I. Uh, it's weird because like so much of this I thought was leading up to like a reveal that like Ged was involved or you know maybe maybe one of the sorcerers made Arn stab his father. I don't know. It'd be nice to explain why that happened. <laughs> why does that happen? Does that not happen in the books at all? No, not even in the books. Um, uh, Arn's dad is like, hey, the light is fading. Like magic is fading from the world. You should go seek out the Archmage and go on a magical quest to solve this. And then they do it, and then at the end of the book, he returns and becomes the new king. Like... Okay. It's just nothing like this at all. It's fucking weird. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have some questions from Tron. Uh, I think we covered a good chunk of these, but... um. Uh, what do you think of the design of the dragons? I think it's weird in the, this book, this movie ends with him riding a dragon girlfriend in like a inverse of Spirited Away, mm -hmm. but also it's like the sloppiest version of that scene possible where the dragon looks like shit and there's just like a shot of him on the dragon, but they didn't want to animate the two of them together. That's too hard. So you just get a close up of like his like upper half as he's like on the dragon and then they land in a field and they make the poster. And I'm like, well, great. This is what we've done here. <laughs> if um if she if the dragon was animated in the same way that like the omu from nausicaa were yes. where it's like that would be good but this like i i like the design the way that it looks in motion is nightmarish <laughs> yeah uh it's why the Tron poster looks so good you know yeah tron asks about the shadow um as like an interpretation of like the idea of a shadow self, um, which I don't think the movie actually does. Like he's literally like, I'm his conscious. Don't worry about it. <laughs> mm. uh, I do think the idea of being chased by like, a, like a, a doppelganger of yourself is like the one scene that's good. Like when he's in the marshes and he sees himself coming after him. I think it's the one thing that genuinely works. It's like creepy. It's cool. So, so the, the plot of the first book is that, um, Ged tries to bring someone back to life, like tries to open up this door between life and death and accidentally lets out his own version of like this shadow that chases him down through the rest of the book. And he has to like mm -hmm. come to terms with like his power and blah, 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 blah. You know, the it's law a of, of equivalent thing. exchange. Yes, exa it's exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but the, the thematic point of Arryn's shadow is pretty muddy to me i guess it's following around because he killed his dad but i don't it doesn't make sense because we don't know why he killed his dad yes <laughs> other than the fact that he spends the first hour of this movie making one facial expression and that i see is about he he's about to go sicko mode in every fucking scene yes uh then uh turn's final question uh, do you think wanting to live eternally is the same as rejecting life or living in fear no, in fact, <laughs> I think this is like, like one of the most insipid parts of this movie is that the moral is like, you have to accept death. Uh, if you want to live life, we're going to live life. We're teenagers. It's just such a very <laughs> juvenile way of thinking. And even if you believe that, it's fine if you believe that the way it's presented is this is a thing that these two kids are believing intensely because they are kids in the face of adults dealing with the world's real problems. We're like, doesn't matter if you're gonna live or die the world's rotting like that's the thing people are trying to solve and work mm -hmm. around well and like all right today i'm listening i've been listening to the shrieking shack and i just got to the episode uh it might be their most recent episode where like harry goes to see his parents grave and there's like a bible verse um there and yes. it's like 
it, it is this common fantasy thing about like, oh, you have to like accept life to really, or accept death to really enjoy life. But, and ZC and Liz do a great job of breaking down like, this as a moral doesn't really make sense outside of like a Christian morality um, like system. And I don't think that this is a Christian movie, but like, I feel pretty similarly about it of just like, it is like very insipid and like one note and a basic sort of like first baby's first themes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And then we have a uh, final question. Um, from Nigel. Uh, here's a, a question that's unrelated to this movie specifically. For each of the main characters of Final Fantasy VIII, which Ghibli movie do you think would be their favorite? All right. Um, are we including Cypher in this? If you want. Um, okay, I'm going to look at a list of Ghibli movies. Um, what does Squall like? Is Squall in the Grave of the Fireflies? That's where my mind immediately goes, because it's the sad one. Um, I think that Squall is into Princess Mononoke. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I think I think Seifer is into, uh, into uh, Porco Rosso. Yeah, I think he thinks the planes are neat. Um, I he also loves think he, he also sees himself as the dashing hero, and he Squall does. is definitely his Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying he sees himself as the Curtis, which is also no. maybe true. <laughs> um, Renoa just likes Whisper of the Heart. She just loves a good like love story, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, uh, Selfie likes Spirited Away. Yeah, of course. Um, who's the cowboy guy? Why am I blanking on this? Irvin. Uh, Irvin. Um, Irvin also likes Porco Rosso because he just likes that it's kind of old timey. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to say Irvin likes uh, Castle in the Sky. Yeah, no, he just likes a good, like, straightforward, like, fairy tale action thing. Um, yeah. And Zell. Uh, Zell loves Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> One, no. shut up about Ocean Waves, and two, absolutely not. <laughs> What's um, the fightiest one? That isn't Mononoke, I guess. I guess he probably would also like Mononoke, but let's be let, let's try to diversify this a little bit. Yeah. Um What is the Zell loves Cagliostro. Oh yeah, of course. Um Quistus likes Kiki's. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to pick like uh, Quistus would definitely be a Miyazaki one. I was just trying to pick out the right one, and you're you're absolutely right. It's Kiki's. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and you know, just for bonus, uh, Laguna definitely likes Ponyo the best. Okay, okay. That is the ocean movie, so that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Thank you for all the questions again. Podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We'll be back next time to talk about Ponyo. We don't know when next time's going to be, though, do we? Yeah, I have a um, surgery on September 29th. They're going to cut out a bunch of my guts. It's, it's exciting times. Um, yeah. I'm going to be recovering. Like They told me that I'll be good to go back to like work at my day job um, in November. Like November 1st is when I'm scheduled to be back right now. Mm-hmm. I'll probably be feeling better by like late October, so it'll... It'll be an extra couple weeks. People are kind of used to this 
podcast taking an extra couple weeks sometimes. So um, yeah, we'll play it by ear. Yeah, um, if that you know, if you if uh, if we if that's like extended any longer, we'll drop a thing in. I'll drop a thing in real quick. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, we'll be back when we're back, and it'll be with a good movie. I I love Ponyo. Um, I'm excited. People love Ponyo. I haven't seen it. Um, I'm excited for Ponyo. I'm excited for Arietti. I'm kind of excited for from up on Poppy Hill. We've got like a good little stretch ahead of us. So I don't. I mean, like you know, I don't think we have a movie that's like poorly regarded in the rest of the movies we have. So I think I've never heard anyone say a goddamn word about when Marnie was there. Oh, that's true. Um, I forgot about that one. Uh, I, I'm curious about Kaguya because that's the last ta- Takashi movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always think um, Mary and the Witch's Flowers, which was formed by like former Ghibli people, um, and is a god awful movie. I always think we have that as like the one of the last ones, but it's just not a Ghibli movie. So, um, uh, yeah, no, that one is definitely uh, meant. <laughs> every, that poster is clearly meant to be the transmorphers of <laughs> of Ghibli movies, and it's incredible that they just got away with that. Yeah, no, um, it's it's all like former Ghibli st- staff, and it is it has kind of all the same problems that this movie does, honestly. <laughs> okay. So we, we won't be watching that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's it. Time for plugs. You can find me at EM underscore being on Twitter. I have a bunch of podcasts at neuromapping.com. Uh, I have a game club. We're coming up on our episode about uh, Mega Man X and Outrun to Coast 2006 Coast to Coast and uh, Wheels of Aurelia. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Patreon.com slash neuromapping. Gundam Wing has got six weeks left. We're getting close. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, I do export audio um, where I think Nora and I are going to watch the David Lynch Dune movie tonight. And that's a, that's a sick it. ass movie. So <laughs> I don't know shit about it. Um, we've just had Dune on the brain a little bit. And I am always thinking about Kyle MacLachlan. Um, uh, just he's, recorded- he's pretty wooden in that movie. So I wouldn't expect a lot out of him, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, he's pretty wooden in Blue Velvet, and I think it works for that movie. Um, okay, I do not like Blue Velvet, so uh, maybe someday I'll revisit it. Have reason to revisit it. Maybe. Um, I just recorded Hot Singles yesterday. I just recorded um, Ars Arcanum yesterday. Uh, so if people don't know, Hot Singles is a music podcast, and Ars Arcanum is a book where we, or is a podcast where we are foolishly reading every Brandon Sanderson novel, roughly three or four chapters at a time. Um, How long will it take you to catch up to where you are right now or where he is right now? Um, shoot. I've got a spreadsheet, but I haven't updated it. Um, but did he put out a book since you last updated the spreadsheet? No, no. I just like we had adjusted um, how many chapters we're covering per episode. But oh, okay. um, for this old version of the spreadsheet, seven years to catch up to where <laughs> assuming he didn't put out another book. It would take us seven years. He puts out roughly one book a year, sometimes two. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you thought Great Gundam Project and Just King Things were stupid ideas. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is that we go every other week. Um, like, if we were less busy people and we could just do it weekly, um, like, it would be a much shorter podcast. Except that he puts out a book every year, and so it would still be a fucking eternal podcast, because all of the books are a thousand pages long. Yeah. Bold. Bold of you to do. 
<laughs> he's putting out a prequel novella um, after he puts out the next big, um, huge fucking. Is he capable of writing a novella? Is is his novella like two hundred and fifty pages long? <laughs> so, um, Edge Dancer um, was a novella that went out right before Oathbringer. Um, he said in the afterward that he had intended for it to be 15,000 words. I'm looking at the spreadsheet. It is 41,000. <laughs> <laughs> that's a novella. The 41,000 words, that's a novella. Mm-hmm. I guess he was planning for it to be like a kind of between short story and novella yeah. and like hit just like, no, this is a novella. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that'll be it. Uh, we don't have an outro, so... No. May your heart be your guiding key. This is the most Kingdom Hearts movie that we've covered, so... <laughs> and then it fucking sucks! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>